What a perfect word this morning. I believe is it uh, is easier to say than do sometimes. So if I gave you some names and just asked for the adjective that would describe them, and I gave you the name, oh, I don't know, Benedict Arnold, what would be the adjective? Betrayer. Betrayer or traitor. Uh, if I gave you the name Hitler, what would it be? Dictator. Dictator Iscariot. Betrayer. One who betrayed the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What if I gave you the name Thomas? Doubter. Now, I want you to stop and pause for just a quick minute and ask yourself if everyone, if I ask the congregation to give an adjective that would describe you. If your family that knows you better than anyone else were to describe you uh, with one or two adjectives, what would it be? I think many times in most of our lives, and even believers, especially believers, the word doubt or doubter would come up in our life. I know as a pastor, there's times I doubt God's speaking or I doubt the future or I doubt what things should look like or the way things are and what God is doing and sometimes I question. And Many times we have to come to a point in our life to where we just stop and remember what He has said to us and cry, Lord, I believe. I believe. Doubt can consume us. Especially those of us who are believers who come to a point in our life where we may commit some sin. And by the way, all believers fall short of the glory of God. The difference is the Lord has saved your soul. But we still live in the flesh. And always remember, it's the Lord that saves you. It's the Lord that keeps you. You can't keep yourself saved. Stop trying. As a matter of fact, in the moment you release from the weight of trying to keep the law to keep yourself saved is the moment you walk in the freedom that is Christ. Legalism says, I've got to do it a certain way to stay close to the Lord and stay in fellowship. Liberalism says, it don't matter, I can live any kind of way I want and God's going to love me. Well, that's true, God's going to love you, but God's not going to be pleased if you walk in sin. So where do we find a good, happy middle? He said, be holy even as I am holy. And he said, the just shall live by faith. Thomas made this statement in John chapter 20. He said, unless I see Jesus' hands, unless I see his hand in his hands, the print of the nails... And I put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust or put my hand into his side. I will not believe. How many of us says, God, I'm going to believe if. God, I will believe when. And we put all kinds of stipulations on our faith. We say, God, I'm going to be a better believer. I'm going to be a better worker. I'm, I'm going to read my Bible more and I'm going to pray more if or when. When I get a little older, when the kids get a little older, I'm telling you, tomorrow never comes. 
And if you're waiting to somehow ascertain a certain, certain level of privilege that God's going to show you something that he's not showing anyone else, it doesn't come at our demands, it comes at our surrender. It's where God speaks in our lives. So when I mention Thomas, we immediately think of doubt. Thomas struggled with a common foe of all humanity. We all doubt. But God wants us to overcome those doubts and live our lives in faith. After all, it's all about faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Listen, doubt is deadly because it is rooted in mistrust. That's really what doubt means. It's saying, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you with my kids. I don't trust you with my job. I don't trust you with my family. I don't trust you with my, my parents. I don't trust you with my career. I don't trust you in my schooling. God, I don't trust you. That's what Thomas was saying. I don't trust what you said because Jesus had talked with him over and over and over and over again. To doubt is to mistrust God. But in today's message, I hope we will learn to overcome our own doubt and trust the Lord even when we don't understand his methods. You know, there's that song the choir and others have sung. Uh, when I don't, uh, you know, I, I can't see tomorrow or whatever, but I can trust his hand. I can know God is moving in the midst. So what, what makes us doubt? What makes you doubt? Well, first of all, just some simple things. He said in verse 9, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. But hadn't he told them? So did, had they never heard of it? No, they had heard it, but they didn't know it. In other words, in an intimate way. A lot of you can quote Psalm 23 or John 3, 16, but do you know the depth of what that means? Do you grasp the depth of what Scripture is trying to tell us? That's why people who come on Wednesday night says it's their favorite time of the week. It's because we go in depth. We go really deep in some questions that boggles my mind sometimes. And we're looking at some of the most obscure things. And we want to go deeper and study the depth of God's Word. Are we just reading our Bible? And even if we are reading it, are we reading it to know? Or reading it just because... It's a checklist. You know, we, we almost teach new believers, read your Bible and pray. And it's like a checklist. And God will slap us on the back at night and say, hey, you read two chapters and you said a little prayer over your food? You're good. Roll on. But it's more than that. It is about relationship. Do you know why I depended on my dad to get things done in my life? It's because there was a relationship where my dad was there where I knew that he was capable. I'd seen evidence of it. And so we've got to come to a point in our life where we understand God is bigger, he's our, but, he's, but he's transcendent of all time. He's imminent in our own lives and that we can trust him because he loves us. So what makes us doubt? Well, when things don't go like they're planned. After Jesus was crucified, two disciples revealed their doubts when they said, well, we were really hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. 
They were still hoping against hope that Jesus was going to set them free from this bunch of Romans. You know? I don't know who will win the election next year, but I know one thing. God's still going to be on his throne the day after the election. He was on the throne the last election, the one before that. He was on his throne when Columbus was sailing the waters blue in 1492. He was on his throne in 1814 when they took a little trip. He was on his throne when Benedict Arnold was a traitor for the Redcoats. He was on his throne when the American Doughboys went into the trenches of Flanders Field. He was on his throne when we loaded on ships, unbelievable massive amounts of ships to sail across into Europe and take planes into the Asian theater. He was on his throne when in 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of the church in Wittenberg. He was on his throne during the Dark Ages. He was on his throne when Nero was killing Christians and burning them alive. He was on his throne. Church, I could go on and on and on. But I want you to understand one thing. I don't know what you're going through, but I know one thing. Jesus is still on his throne. When things don't go as planned, we, Jesus called them foolish ones and slow to believe. Listen, I don't know. Death, divorce, disease, all these things can cause doubt because we look at people rather than an eternal creator that's above all things. I'm here to tell you he is the answer to whatever ails you. You know, I've always heard, and thank goodness it was before my time, but I heard before my time, it was castor oil, and not GTX. It was just a spoon. Oh, this will fix what ails you, you know. And then when you got a little bit older, it was, you know, this thing. And, and you know, I've talked about, I'm not convinced they really thought it would help. I think it was just a way to punish us for getting hurt, for doing something we shouldn't have done. Uh, and that was methylate. That was Satan's spit. I mean, it would literally, if you get hurt, and, and about the time you wanted some pity, and you'd show them, and they'd say, hold on, let me get it methylate. Oh, I'm good. I, I just made that up. You'd take off running. Every season of life, we have this some kind of a magical fix. All you got to do is stay up. It used to be late on Saturday night. Now it's all during the time. Infomercials. Everybody's got a fix for everything. And we're not smart enough to realize people still die. If all this stuff really works, then somebody's going to beat the odds. Somebody's going to take the right mixture in the right way and they're just going to keep living. But the truth is, it's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. And if we live right with God and have no problems, then you're going to tell me that the Apostle Paul was that messed up? That he had so let God down that not only did he die, but they cut his head off? That Peter had so messed up, even though these two guys wrote 
most of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit working in their life, they so messed up that they crucified Peter. Are you telling me that the God, that the God who created this Bible is a liar when he said that Job was mature in every way, but apparently somehow he got jacked up and so God punished him? The Bible is so vividly clear. This whole idea of prosperity gospel that we often buy into when something don't go our way. We think, oh God, what have I done? It's not that you've done something wrong. It may be because you've done something right. And Satan is here to beat on you to try to keep you from doing it again. You're a lot more threat to Satan when you live for Christ in faith than you are when you walk in doubt. When you're sure of who God is, when you can cry in the midst of sorrow like we saw happen in this place this past week where the gospel was presented and our church loved on lost people in an unbelievable way on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and on Monday all day, we were able to cry, I know my Redeemer lives. And our brother lives with him. Listen, sometimes things just don't go as planned, do they? What about when your faith is challenged by so-called science and the talking heads of today? I'm going to give you some true illustrations, but the names have been changed to protect the guilty. When Billy took college biology class or comparative religions class in the secular college, he began to seriously doubt the Bible account of creation, that which his parents taught him in faith. Those that Sunday school teachers loved him enough that they stayed up and they studied their Sunday school lesson and they read God's word to him and he heard it and he believed, but now he's older and he thinks he's wiser and these college professors are telling him, hey, all that stuff is nonsense. Science proves it, and yet they can't prove how it does. Because anyone that's got a lick of sense can know that things don't just happen. I don't know which rule that is, but even Leroy Jethro Gibbs knows there are no coincidences. You know, when, when this rock was built, it was built for the purpose of being a stopgap to make room because Eastside had outgrown capacity of the old sanctuary. Am I right? But this was never meant to be the end all. It was built to be a ministry center. See all these lines on the carpet? There's a volleyball court over there. There's a basketball court that we're using extensively and you'll be hearing about the announcement for our third year now uh, coming up uh, after the first year of uh, rec ball. There is the Awana Square that's in here that hasn't been used in years and years. But we're using it for ministry, such as, I mean, how many churches have them breaking blocks and stuff dressed up, grown men dressed up like superheroes, pre presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a ministry center but with the belief that God would have us build another worship center in the near future. Right? All right. Boy, we hate to be called in on what we said once it gets passed sometimes. But that's the truth. 
Now hear me. I love to see a new worship center. So you know what? We all begin to pray. And I do. I want you to pray about that. But we pray and we pray and we pray. And lo and behold, we have Thanksgiving supper. We enjoy the week of Thanksgiving. Some of us go hunting. Some of us go to the mountains. Some of us travel and we go see family. And we gather back here the next week. And when we pull up on the church property, everybody's been gone, take some days off. We pull up and lo and behold, there sits the worship center. Well, you know, we'd been watching our phone and we'd heard about this big old huge building supply place over in Statesboro had blown up. They, would, they didn't understand how it blew up. They don't know if it was a gas leak. They don't know what happened. So, some kind of uh, propellant, uh, something flammable. The whole place just exploded. I mean, this is a great, it was a, it was a great business. I mean, they didn't have just two by fours and two by eights and two by tens. They had decorations for inside the house. They had uh, lavatories and, and sinks and water closets. They had countertops and cabinets. They had carpet and flooring. They had all this kind of stuff. And we walk in, we come up, and here sits a building, and all the bathrooms are in, the carpet's down, exactly like we wanted it. The lights are working, and listen, the greatest of them all, we've got the best sound equipment and video system, and it all works. <laughs> now, all you mathematicians do the statistical probability of that. We say, well, we should have known the supply house blew up. Here it is. Nobody drove a nail. Nobody laid out any plans. Nobody put up batter boards. Nobody dug any footings. Just boom, there it was. And you're going to tell me that somewhere in this universe, something blew up somehow. And some way on some day, boom, there it was. I'm going to tell you, there was a day, and I do believe in the Big Bang. God said, bang, and there it was. But there is an intricate design down to the, listen, one of the ways that we are able to catch criminals as we have expanded our learning uh, and understanding of science is DNA. And there's two types of DNA. Do you know that? There's the personal DNA and then the mitochondrial DNA that tracks through the family and other things that they're able to, and, and epith, I'm not even going to try that big word, there's just all kind of really deep scientific stuff behind the DNA that's very unique to you and your family. I was watching Forensic Files or something the other day and I thought, and someone said something about finding a hair of Jesus. Lord, we're back to that relic stuff. But I thought, wonder what Jesus' DNA would look like. They always say, well, there's only a one in 138 billion chance that it could be anyone else. There wouldn't be any chance at all that anyone else could be Jesus but Jesus. Now, do you see how ridiculous the idea that science trumps a creator? If you look and see a design, then you know there's a designer. But our faith is challenged because, listen, he took this class and, and he's still wrestling with it. He's not in church. What about the exclusive claims of Christ? The Bible says, if you've got your Bible today, whether it's on your smartphone or in good old paper form, your Bible in one way or another says this exact verse. For there is no 
no other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. Y'all believe that? Then you believe in the exclusivity of the gospel. There is no other way. What happens when you go on a trip to India, most populated continent in the world, and you go into these cities and you see millions upon millions upon millions of people that are worshiping at the altar of the monkey gods and the elephant gods. They're worshiping at the altar of Buddha. They're worshiping uh, 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 in every kind of form and fashion. And they're very, very, very devoted. Well, Pastor Joe visited India and saw a billion very sincere worshipers of false deities. And he openly asked and wondered on TV if Jesus was really the only way to heaven. And he said, I don't feel like I can say that. And yet he calls himself a Christian pastor. What makes you doubt? What if you could discuss your doubts with Jesus? What would you ask him? Because he's not offended. Do you know that? God is not offended by your genuine questions if you're willing to hear the answer. When doubt moves to harden unbelief, then it becomes sin. He said in John 16 and verse 9, of sin because they believe not on me. Though we will never have all the answers we learn today, when we focus on Jesus, our doubts will be swallowed up in faith and victory. Remember, what does the old song say? Faith is the victory. Faith doesn't get us to the victory. Faith is the victory. First of all, I want you to notice with me, starting in verse 19 of John 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, and by the way, I want to tell you something. Thank God for Sunday school teachers who study the Word of God and teach our children in this church truth and not afraid to give them in-depth Scripture. I'm going to tell you, I talked to one this morning and then Caden this past week, and I'm going to tell you, I didn't have to even begin. I'm not going to, but I didn't have to try to feed them answers, finish their answers. I didn't have, they gave me some of the most in-depth biblical answers that a lot of us adults couldn't give. And I'm not being funny. They knew truth. And they knew the truth would set them free. They knew who Jesus Christ really is. Well, here, the same day at evening, being first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. They should understand that Jesus had already told them, I'm going into Jerusalem because I must go there and die. Right? They tried not to get him, you know, he rode on a donkey, he didn't ride on a white stallion. He went to Pilate's judgment hall and was convicted though found innocent. How'd you like to stand trial when the judge pronounces? He said, well, will the defendant please rise, you stand up and say, on the count of this matter of life and death, how do you so find? And the judge says, I find them not guilty. Man, you start hugging your lawyer and all that. It says, and I sentenced them to death. Wait a minute. You just said I was innocent. How can I be sentenced to death if I'm found innocent? Well, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. 
Right? But I want you to remember something. It happened for you and for me. For he had to be innocent to be the perfect sacrifice. And so, verse 20, when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the 